You're listening to Music from a Lifetime, a production of Metal Cavern Podcasting. Riding on the formidable waves of the rising and raging thrash metal movement, and following fellow New Yorkers Anthrax into the fray, Nuclear Assault had produced their debut album, Game Over, in 1986, and backed by a solid touring schedule, had managed to fight their way into the reckoning of the burgeoning metal market of the US. Their next step was to create a follow-up album that could build on this momentum and get them the coverage they were looking for. That album appeared 35 years ago today with the release of their sophomore effort, Survive. And the story of that album and its consequences are the basis for today's thrashing episode. Welcome to Season 4 of the podcast that continues to offer you new thoughts on old albums and an old person's thoughts on new albums, where we ask, why can't you get that garbage out of your head? You're better off to read a good book instead on music from a lifetime. Yeah. 
Perhaps the greatest component about thrash metal, and certainly this is probably more relevant to the early origins of the genre, and not necessarily the latter-day proponents, is that it is just fun. What's not to like about drums that are flying along at an indelible speed, careering almost out of control, as the guitars riff and crush along at the same tempo, whilst the frontman sings and screams his or her lyrics over the top? And who cares what the lyrics are about? Death? Satan? War? It's not a contest to become the most poignantly re- relevant band in the world, you know. Well, not for everyone. It's about enjoyment of the music and how that music makes you feel when it comes on. Nuclear Assault grew out of the dismissal of bass guitarist Danny Lilka from Anthrax and his decision to not only put together another band, but one that wanted to go in a more aggressive fashion than his previous band was heading. Bringing together John Connolly, Anthony Bramante and Glenn Evans, the band released the EP Brain Death before releasing their debut album Game Over two months later. After a touring schedule that saw them support many of the best bands of their genre across the country, the same foursome came together to write and record the follow-up album. Prior to this, they released a second EP titled The Plague, which contained a song critical of the decision to allow Vince Neil to escape jail time over the car crash he created that killed Hanoi Rock's Rock's drummer, Razzle. It was the sign of things to come lyrically for the band, with more potent songs taking on issues that they had problems with and combining it with their increasingly faster and thrashier style of music, heading into extreme territory in their quest to create the sound that would make them stand out from the crowd. The result was something that, for many people, exceeded that successfully.
after the excellence of the first album, the band needed to ramp things up here on their second effort if they wanted to continue to be successful and bring in more fans. And while they had done so in that first album and both of the EPs, on Survive they brought a more topical lyrical content to the songs, along with ramping up the speed and intensity of the tracks. A number of the songs still deal with the band's title and the threat of nuclear war and the aftermath it may bring. But they also also tackle current topics such as in Fight to be Free, where they take aim at the government over decision-making that the young, who I presume they are including themselves in, find to be incoherent. Great Depression seems to be a vicious cycle of abuse, but works well for the youthful fans who would have had no trouble at all chanting away the lyrics to offset their dark moments. Still, Rise from the Ashes and Survive and Technology all still harp on the nuclear winter dark and angry lyrics that lend themselves to the music around them. Having said all of this, the album finishes off quite strangely with a cover of the Led Zeppelin song, Good Times, Bad Times, which more than anything else highlights the complete difference between what Nuclear Assault write and then what comes from one of the great classic bands from another era. It is noticeably different and indeed weakens the end of the album because it is so different. Was it added just to get the album length to 30 minutes? Or did they really think this was a good idea? The first thought seems the most likely. The music itself is excellent for those that are fans of thrash metal at its core. It isn't the mature, almost smooth-sounding thrash that that age of Metallica was. It was thrash metal as it at its essence. The influence of Anthrax is still noticeable in some songs, and some riffs that arise. But this is definitely not a clone album of that description. Anthony Bramante and John Connolly are excellent here, with some of the lead breaks terrific, while the hardcore rhythm of Dan Lilka and Glenn Evans is excellent, providing the engine room that drives the album to its peak. The album tops out at the 30 minute mark, so there is nothing much left in the tank once you get to the end. It's fast, It's furious, and it's here for a good time, not a long time. Notwithstanding the cover song, to finish it all off.
No one in my friend group from high school came forth with, with material from Nuclear Assault at the time that this album, or all of their albums, were released. More is the pity, because it took me a little over 20 years to finally track down their albums and listen to them. Such was the problem living in Australia. Some bands' albums were just difficult to source. But also you need someone to discover them for you as well, and then pass it on, in the days of shared cassettes. So though I knew the band existed, I didn't hear this album until well into the new century. And from the moment I heard this album, and their debut album, I knew I'd missed a trick. Because it is pure 80s thrash metal. There is no mistaking its place in time. And it is prior to growling vocals and all of the other tricks that came later on in the 1990s and 2000s. So once I found these two albums, I played them a lot and bathed in the glory of the guitars and speed and relatively short songs, with the album almost over before you knew it. So you just had to put it on again because you feared you may have missed a couple of tracks. I really do enjoy this album. Danny Lorca's experience with both Anthrax and then Stormtroopers of Death does shine through in the songs here, but in their own style rather than being a copycat. Beyond this album, things appeared to change, but that seemed to be from internal issues and the changing landscape, something most 80s bands suffered from. But Survive stands as a testament to this era of thrash, and even to today, retains its freshness in attitude and fun. And if an album can continue to draw out great feelings like that after 35 years, then you know it was done the right way at the time.
Thanks once again for dropping by and making it to the end of another episode of my Music Remembrance podcast, Music from a Lifetime. Long-time listeners will know of my love of music, and this podcast allows me to share some of that passion for an old album, in the hope that I can either introduce you to a brilliant album from the past, or remind you of how brilliant an album is, so that you can catch up with it in your own time. And of course, there are also that albums that might only be average, or absolute rubbish. Whichever one of those descriptions fits for you about Survive, I hope that you have at least enjoyed the journey today. And as always, remember the motto of this podcast. Listening to music can improve a crap day or make a good day even better. Cheers once again for sticking around to the end and I hope you'll come back and check out the next episode of Music from a Lifetime. Music from a Lifetime is recorded in Metal Cavern Studios. You can find Music from a Lifetime podcast on Facebook and Instagram and the blog at westkiamametal.blogspot.com.